0: This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. shine. Well, good morning and welcome to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. We're so excited to see you here with us. If this is your first time visiting with us, we wanna let you know that you are our honored guest. And like uh, Rich mentioned in the announcements, please fill out that visitor's card and get that to us. We'd love to send you a note. And invite you back out to our church and say thank you for being with us. Uh, got some very, very important news to announce this morning. Uh, Mary, Alayla, and Izzy arrive home tomorrow at 7.30 PM. <laughs> Praise the Lord, you know. <laughs> Uh, So I'm so excited to have them back. It's been a rough three weeks, but I want to thank everybody who's taken care of me and brought me food. Sister Dorothy, that pineapple cake was delicious. Thank you. And for everybody who's taking me out to lunch, Don, I really appreciate that. Uh, It's been a rough three weeks, as you can probably tell. But uh, still alive and uh, excited to be here with you this morning. I want to say this. uh, Brother Coberto, uh, thank you so much uh, for your opening this morning and telling this story. Uh, about sharing the gospel uh, with the lady uh, who was in need there. I've been hearing a lot of neat stories lately about people stepping out on faith and sharing the gospel message. I got to hear a really neat story from Billy as well over the past two weeks about her uh, inviting a neighbor. And I would venture to say that during this time in the life of our church, God is churning and moving and poking and pricking our hearts, reminding us about the very reason we exist, and that's to be ambassadors of the message of reconciliation. And I love, I get so tickled and so excited when I hear people saying, yeah, I got to share the gospel with someone. And you know what? It's really neat because the sermon that I have worked on this week, which I kind of prepared uh, a while ago fits in with that theme, and I see God doing something here. And I really wanted to talk to you this morning about the parable of the lost coin. The parable of the lost coin. But before we begin, I want you to ponder this for a moment. How any of you this morning ever had to be at work about seven, eight o'clock in the morning to deliver your presentation for the day, right? Uh, You had to sit with your boss and talk to your boss about the plans and the visions that you want to implement and carry out. So you worked on that PowerPoint slide and, and you put your clothes out on the bed for the next morning and you got everything prepped and ready to go. And you wanted to get to the office early. So you woke up a little bit early and you went to the place where you keep your car keys. And much to your surprise, the car keys weren't there. And you say to yourself, I put my car keys here every single day. Where are they now? First thing you do is say, Must be my wife. Must be my husband, right? And for those of us who have children, it must be the kids. They were playing with the keys and now I can't find them. So you begin a frantic search, looking for your car keys. You flip up the couch, you look under the bed, you go to every single pair of pants that you wore for the past week, looking for your keys and you can't find them. And then you get so frustrated and you put your hand in your pocket and then you go like this. They were there the, the whole time, and I just didn't know it. Any of you been there this morning? Or about this? I lose this thing all the time. I lose this all the time. Have you ever been there? I see some hands being raised. There is something about this wallet that I lose constantly, every single week. I told a story not too long ago. I was at the mall, and I was at Paradise Cafe, and I always leave my wallet on the tray when I carry my food. This day, I decided to throw the whole tray into the garbage with my wallet. And I could not find my wallet. I looked in the car. I was looking in my back pocket. So I went back into the mall, and I started digging through the trash, consumed in searching for something that I had lost. People thought I was crazy that day. But I did find my wallet. What about this? What about your cell phone? Any there, I see some hands and some nods, yes, yes. Cell phones, we lose these things all the time, don't we? Have you ever had a very important job interview and you're waiting for your call back? And you set your phone somewhere and you can't find it, but you hear it ringing, right? And you search everywhere for it, looking in the bedroom, looking under the couch, everywhere, and you cannot find your phone to save your life. It's really frustrating when you lose something, and you're searching for that something, and you can't find it. I was at the grocery store the other day, and I saw a young woman in tears, frantic. She was crying, her breathing was shallow, she was searching and she was screaming, I can't find my child! I can't find my baby! She said, I I took my eyes off of him for just a second and now I can't find him. She was searching everywhere for her child and couldn't find her child. And I was so uh, fearful for her. I was thinking, well, maybe somebody took her kid or maybe the kid ran off into the street. So I began to help this woman look for her child. And the first thing I thought of, I said, let's go to the toy section. Went over there, and there was the baby boy looking at some race cars, some Hot Wheels. And I said, ma'am, I think I found your child. And she ran, ran over to where that child was, and she got down on her hands and knees. And I pushed replay in my mind, because I was thinking, if that was my parents, whoo, right? Might not make it home. But she said to her child, I love you so much. Don't you ever run away from mommy again to where I can't find you. Don't you ever do that again. You see, that day that woman was consumed with searching for something that she had lost. And when you find that something that you lose, it's an amazing feeling. Do you want to know what Jesus was consumed with? his entire ministry on earth. He was consumed with searching for lost people. Consumed, frantic, searching for lost people. That's why he came. He was consumed with it. And this morning, I want to define, first of all, What a lost person is, because we don't like to use that term too much today. It doesn't sound very good for most of us today. What does it mean to be a lost person? It means a person who belongs to the Lord but doesn't know that they belong to the Lord. And many of us know people like that today. This morning, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Luke chapter 15, and we're going to spend our entire time this morning looking at Luke chapter 15, looking at the parable of the coin, the lost coin. But what is so interesting about this parable is that it is uh, positioned right in the middle of two other parables. And what I love about this section of Scripture so much is that Jesus is spelling out the importance of being consumed with finding lost people, insomuch that he uses three consecutive parables to illustrate the importance of this point. And he begins in Luke chapter 15. So before we get to the parable of the lost coin, let's, let's open up and let's read a couple of passages. I'm going to stop around verse number 10. might just flow with me as you can, but I'm going to read through this. Luke chapter 15, verse number one. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose One of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Let's go to verse number eight. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Verse number 11, the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything he had in the country there, began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out as a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed with pigs he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything and the story continues on and we know these passages very well but this morning I just want to shed some light on what I believe Jesus was consumed with and as stewards of the kingdom, as people who are striving to be Christians in Christ-like, that means we are called to be consumed with the very same thing, the very same mission. So let's look at this and kind of exegete this passage, and I'll be done. Verse number one, if you're reading from the uh, New International Version, uh, it says it this way now, the tax collectors and sinners. If you're reading from the King James or... Other translations, it may say the publicans, right? Not republicans, the publicans. Amen. (laughs) The publicans, right? And what I love about this text is so interesting is that we see a distinction between two types of sinners. And you would think that sinners are just sinners. They're all the same. They're in the same boat. They're just one in the same. But here we see a distinction between tax-collecting sinners and regular sinners, And what's so interesting is I think this passage communicates just just the audacity of tax collectors in Bible times. If you've ever studied any scripture, you know tax collectors were people that weren't uh, the best people. They weren't looked on upon favorably by, by the citizens of the community. And you may ask yourself the question, well, why not? Well, the tax collector's profession was to be what they were called, right? Tax collectors, the IRS, the man. So they would go and they would collect taxes for the Roman government. And you would say, well, that sounds about right, right? You're supposed to pay your taxes, you need a tax collector. But the problem with tax collectors is that they were greedy people and very self serving. So what they would do is they would go and collect taxes from the people and then say to those same people, you owe 10 to 15 to 20 percent more than what the government is charging you. And then these tax collectors would take that 10, 20 percent and pocket it, and they would become very, very wealthy. So the people during this time period could not stand tax collectors. They thought they were the worst people ever. Zacchaeus, the wee little man, was a tax collector. You all remember the story. Tax collectors weren't good people. But what's interesting is that instead of pulling them in with the sinners of the day. There's a special place for tax collectors. Amen. (laughs) And then he says the rest of the sinners. And when I think of the rest of the sinners, I'm thinking of pagans. I'm thinking of adulterers. I'm thinking of drunkards. I'm thinking of liars. I'm thinking of murderers. And what's so interesting is that before that is even mentioned, he already talks about tax collectors. Look here, the physician. All I'm saying is that These were really bad, bad people. They weren't good people at all. But these people were the ones that were gathering to hear Jesus. These type of people are the ones that wanted to hear Jesus' message. And here's what the religious people of the day said about this situation, verse number two, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious people, the the upright folk, the right people muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Perception becomes reality in this text. If Jesus spends his time with sinners, that then makes him a sinner. And Jesus had to repair some of this confusion, because obviously the people, the religious people they didn't understand his very mission, his purpose for existence. It wasn't to hang out in the synagogue and debate over uh, whether uh, the afterlife is real or not. That wasn't his purpose to debate and to, to read and to No, his purpose was to share the gospel message with people who were lost. And then he uses the parable of the sheep. Any of you guys raised on a farm besides Jessica Bingham? Oh, we have a few. Okay, I just, wow, I'm impressed. Country folk. I wasn't raised on a farm, but I was raised in southeast Georgia, right? So you would would travel through the area and you would see cotton fields and you would see herds of cattle and you would often see sheep, right? And sheep are very interesting animals if you ever spent time with, with sheep, right? Um, they say that sheep aren't very intelligent. Uh, I was looking at some research and they said uh, sheep are just below pigs in intelligence level. And I thought, wow. And then the scripture calls us sheep. I wonder, how does that, how does that work? But sheep aren't that, that intelligent, uh, is, what, is what commentators and what uh, students of, of, of animal studies say. But sheep have this mechanism that they call flocking. Have you ever heard of flocking? You know what a, a flock is? A flock is basically a dominance hierarchy. Dominance hierarchy. Where are you going with that, preacher? What does that mean? That means sheep, in order to survive, have to follow someone Something or another sheep. In order to survive, they have to follow. It's a natural instinct within them. They must follow something, and if they don't, they will perish. Well, why is that? Because sheep aren't designed to be very uh, uh, defensive and scary animals, right? They don't have sharp teeth or fangs. You don't see too many buff sheep. I mean, they're they're cute, right? You look at a sheep, you go, "Oh, that's pretty. That's cute." But sheep do have teeth and they bite and they can kick, but that's about it. But if a predator was coming to attack the sheep, the sheep have no defense other than to flock in the circle around one another. And that's why the sheep need a shepherd. That's why the sheep need a leader. Because if they don't have a leader, they will not survive. And the shepherd's job was to take the sheep and to protect them from outside predators. And if you read the pages of Scripture, we see some very famous shepherds that had become leaders amongst their peers scripturally. David was a shepherd, wasn't he? And the story goes on and on about these great leaders who were shepherds. And guess what? Sheep are so unintelligent that, that they will stay and graze in one spot until there is nothing left. And there can be a patch of grass over on the other side, and they'll just stay right there and go, well, I don't know where the food is. Hopefully it'll start growing back or something. But what it takes is it takes a leader to say to the sheep, come on, let's go over here. There's greener pastures over here. So sheep are very interesting animals. And Jesus says this, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses just one of them. You have a hundred sheep, and that's a lot of sheep and you lose one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country? And that word open country underline that because that's scary when you leave sheep in open country. Predators are all around. And go after the lost sheep until he finds it. When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Well, what is this saying theologically, exegetically, hermeneutically? What is this saying? Well, In my mind, Scripture says all of humanity are sheep. Not just the church, but everybody is a sheep. In the very beginning, when God created the heavens and earth and put human beings in the world, we all belong to God. Sin entered into the world and the relationship between humanity and God was broken. And as a result, that relationship has been frayed and we have lost our way. And thanks be to God that someone shared the gospel with you because you would still be lost, right? Thanks be to God that someone shared the gospel with me because I would still be lost. But all humanity are sheep. And some sheep have wandered and lost their way. And right now, as I look across the auditorium this morning, I bet you can think in your mind of some people that you know need to come on home to the Lord. You know desperately they need to come on home. And they're that lost sheep. And Jesus says, leave the 99 and focus on the one. Jesus was so, so consumed with finding just one and bringing them on back home. And as ministers of reconciliation, I hope and pray we're consumed in the same way. Because if we aren't, why do we even exist? And guess what? When I look across the auditorium this morning, I see some hard-fighting evangelists amongst our midst. And I'm so excited about your ability and your care and how you're consumed with sharing the gospel with other people because that's why we exist. And now we get on to the parable of the lost coin. In verse number 8, it says here, Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Now, the 10 silver coins, what were they? Well, the 10 silver coins in the language of the day were called drachmas. Drachmas. And one drachma represented about 15 cents. 15 cents. So this woman had 10 drachmas, which is really equivalent uh, to about a dollar and a half right and maybe in that time period that seemed like a a a good amount of money but today to us a dollar and a half doesn't do much you might be able to buy Snickers from the gas station or something but that's about it that's not that's not a lot of money it won't do much for us today but this woman lost 10 silver coins and we'd be thinking ourselves well she could just go find another 10 that's not a big deal but the scripture says the problem was is that she was a widow. She was a widow. If you've ever spent time in Scripture reading about widows, you know they had an incredibly hard time. Many of you here this morning may be widows or know someone who's a widow. And I can't even begin to understand and comprehend the struggle and difficulty of losing your better half, losing your soulmate, and having to figure out life on your own and how to survive. That's got to be tough. But in this cultural time period, it was an exceptionally tough deal. Widows, mainly, most of the time, had no financial backing or support when their husband passed away. Nothing. And we recall stories of widows all throughout Scripture. We remember the widow of Zarephath with Elisha. Remember, Elisha came to her and said, give me some bread and some water. She said, I don't have enough. All I have is just for me and my son, and if we don't eat, we're going to die. And Elijah said, give me some of that anyway, and God's going to take care of you. You guys remember the story of the widows in Scripture. They had a tough time. And in Acts chapter 6, you remember, the church was called to take care of widows and orphans. That's the reason that they exist. Take care of widows and orphans. And we see a problem arising in the church in Acts chapter 6 because some of the Hellenistic widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And then we see the Scripture saying that uh, some men were having to be appointed uh, to serve as deacons, to take care of social justice. Really what it was to take care of the widows there. So widows were very... uh, difficult people to work with and to serve because they needed a lot and the scripture says pure religion and undefiled before god is to take care of the widows and the orphans so if we get back to this text now we can kind of kind of begin to see where maybe this widow's mindset was she didn't have much nobody was there to take care of her and she had lost her money any of you guys been broke before? Or is it just me? <laughs> have you ever struggled? I've seen some of the teens go, yep, yep, right now. Hey, Amen. We, we are broke today. College students are like, yep, identify, right? Have you ever been broke, right? Not have enough to pay your bills or figure out how, how to pay rent or how it's going to happen? When you go to bed, you just sleep comfortably, don't you? You're not worried about how the bills are going to be paid. You're not worried about anything. You can rest comfortably, count sheep. That's not what happens, Right? When you're struggling financially, it takes everything out of you. So the scripture says this woman was here searching for her coins and she had to turn on the light. So I'm wondering if she probably couldn't sleep because of the position and situation she was in. She lost all her money, so she was wide awake, worried about where her next meal was going to come from. She was probably hungry because she didn't eat that night. She may have been upset and may have been stressed. So that night she turned on the light, searching diligently. She was consumed with finding that money. Jesus was consumed with lost things, and the church should be consumed with lost things as well. And then the scripture says when she finds it, she goes and tells her friends and family, and she's so excited because she found what was lost. Church, there is nothing like seeing someone who does not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ come and be baptized in water, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and add it to the church. And you see that person on fire. It's a life-changing event, not only for that person, but for us as well. It's exciting. And you know, the church that I grew up remembering, the church that I remembered growing up was a church that was all about evangelism. You guys remember the back in the day, right? Well, that's what we were all about. We wouldn't cancel Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night service except if we were going to do some kind of door-knocking campaign, right? That's the only time we would cancel. The church that I uh, remember growing up was all about evangelism and outreach, and today I'm going, have we lost sight of that just a little bit? I wonder if uh, the church in America is more consumed and preoccupied with talking theology rather than talking about sharing the gospel with the lost person. I think we might be there. I think we might be there, but I think Mission Viejo is not that kind of church. I don't think we're that kind of church. I think we're consumed with, with lost people. And then lastly, as I step down this morning, I want to examine the parable of the lost son, and then we'll, we'll end on this one. And we all know the story. There were two sons, right? Two sons. The younger said, dad, give me all my money so I can go off and do my thing. And I wonder what the father was thinking. Son, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. You're here with me. You're living comfortably. Life is good. And the son said, no, let let me take my money and let me go. So the son took his money. He ran off and spent it all on wild living is what the scripture says, right? I wonder what he was doing. We don't know. He was doing all kinds of stuff. And he got to a place where he was so down and out and so broken and so destitute. And when I think of lost people who don't know Jesus Christ, that's what I think of. They're broken and they're searching and they need something. And so broken. And the father said to the younger son, you come on back home. And the older brother said to the younger brother, you come on back home too. I love you. I'm not upset about a thing. (laughs) that's not what the story says right as a matter of fact as we read the story of the prodigal son it's really a story about the older brother the older brother said father how come you weren't consumed and concerned about me I've been faithful the whole entire time you should be excited for me he was self-focused and self-centered that he didn't even care about his lost brother That older brother needed to repent, didn't he? Because he wasn't concerned about his lost brother. He was more concerned about himself. So this morning, as I end, I want to leave you with this verse, last verse in the slide presentation. And I want you to just remember this, church, as we think about uh, where we're going in the future. Our shepherds have a tough job. They have a tough job leading sheep. I pray for them every day. I hope we pray. I really appreciate what Ray said. They have a tough job. They've been doing a great, great job. Let's continue to pray for our shepherds as they lead us and guide us and show us where greener pastures are and how to make disciples. And let's remember this passage as we close out today. It says this in verse number seven. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Just one. Just one. And all of us know one person. And I would encourage you, whatever work you're doing right now with that one person, keep up the good work. And I'd love to hear about it so I can pray for that person and about the situation you're in. And if you need backup, let me know I'm there. Because I'm consumed with lost people, and I know you are, too. Jesus also said this. It's the sick that need the physician, not the whole. This morning, we have a song of imitation selected. If there is anyone here that needs prayer, maybe some encouragement, uh, to share the gospel with your neighbor, your family member, your friend, you come forward and the church will pray with you and we'll pray for you. Uh, and we'll, we'll encourage you in that way. Maybe this morning you're here and you're not a Christian and you've been lost for some time. You can't figure out why your life is heading in the direction it's heading in. You can't figure out why you're encountering so much trouble and so much hardship and, and things are always difficult. The reason is, is because you're not at home. So this morning, I would encourage you to come on home. Come on home. Your father is waiting for you and wants you back. Come on home. Be baptized in water, be added to the kingdom. Whatever your needs or concerns are,